This is licensed marriage and family therapist Chris Hoff, host of the Radical Therapist podcast. It is in my strong clinical opinion that you never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dolomar. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Episode 440, if you can believe it, of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined today by the lovely and the spunky since childhood, Brittany Page. Um, this is going to be hell for me because I'm, I think I'm getting sick and I'm, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm not feeling great either. A little yeah, sore throat, a yeah, little my, scratchy. Yeah, it feels... Yeah. Like that. Is that what you got? Yeah, a little flummy, I feel. So I might be clearing my throat, trying to like get a- away from the mic, uh, which isn't very possible because it's in my face for a reason so that well, I will talk into it properly. The manner in which you're sitting in that chair, practically Indian style in a tiny ass chair. Uh, maybe it's because your mut- muscles have atrophied so much <laughs> that you're you're unable to to just maintain. <laughs> uh huh. That's a new one. Thank so you. I introduced you today. Yeah. This episode, this 440th numbered episode, mm-hmm. as the spunky even since childhood. Yeah. And I want to talk about, I hope you'll be willing to talk about this, mm-hmm. interviewing for jobs. Okay. Specifically an interview that you told me about the other day. Uh-huh. And apparently when you were a teenager, you were relied upon to be in a managerial type of position so trusted that you were brought into the interview process of other individuals. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that interview, oh yeah, yeah, I want to talk about your interview that got you hired on to that job. Okay, because you were kind of a uh, spunky. You were <laughs> you always kind of had an attitude, a-, a level of confidence beyond your years. I think I think always kind of had an attitude is that's a safe way to say it. Um, yeah, so I worked at like a fun center kind of place, like with go-karts and, um, river boats or whatever they're called. River boats? What are those little boats called? I don't know. Um. (laughs) You and Mark Twain. Bumper boats. Fucking river boats. (laughs) Bumper boats. Um, and mini golf. We had a river boat casino going next to the, next to the, (laughs) the softball cages. Yeah. Anyway, I worked at, uh, one of those places when I was a teenager. And so it was my first job and, I was really nervous for putt, the putt and roulette. I was really nervous for the interview, but before I went in, my mom told me a couple of like interview pointers, which are terrible and I don't follow them anymore. But one of the things that she said was make sure you ask like a question at the end to indicate that you have interest in the job, which is still that's a good not terrible advice. Yeah, that's that's the one that I think is fine. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so I was being interviewed and there was, um, what, was what were the others like call everybody chief? No. Hey, what do you got over there? Chief? <laughs> Definitely not. Hey, bud. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but it was a panel interviewing uh, several people in one room and I was the only one that was asked by like the general manager of the place. He asked me if I would be willing to clean toilets 
And I was the only one that got asked that question. You, you said it was a group interview? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I just thought it was weird that I was like singled out as the one that he asked that question to. So at the end, they're like, do you have any questions for us? You know? <laughs> and I directed my question to him and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I noticed that I'm the only one that you asked about cleaning the toilets. And I'm just wondering, is there like something about my demeanor that screams I'd love to clean toilets or like, do I seem particularly interested? In... You're like 15 or 16 at this point, right? Yeah. Com- cleaning toilets compared to other people. And they all laughed. They thought it was very funny. You meant it to be funny. Yeah. I meant yeah. it to be funny and it landed. That never happens. And, um, <laughs> And I got the job. So um, I was kind of surprised. I, I was happy that it landed. It doesn't often work out that way. Um, but yeah. And then I will. I really want to hear the story again. Okay. About when you were on the panel in the same position, except now you're on the other side of the table. Yeah. Helping interview people. Right. And what this ding dong kid do? Yeah. So we, we gave them an opportunity to ask us questions. And, and again... You're a teenager. He's yeah. a peer, teenage right. peer. Right, and I didn't know him. I mean, it was a smaller town-ish where it might have made sense that I would know him, but, yeah, but I didn't you, know you him. You go to a different high school. You don't yeah, know he anybody. went to a different yeah. high school. And um, so he singled me out. And again, this was a group interview. Where there was a panel of us and a group. And he singled me out for his question. And he said, if you had been a soldier in Nazi Germany, would you have killed a Jew? That was literally his question to me. God damn. And I was sitting there thinking like, oh my God, he knows my family. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, and this is like a microaggression against me. Um, and he didn't. He just, because I, I ended up like running into him downtown one time. And I was like, hey, what the hell was that all about? You're a weird dude. And... <laughs> <laughs> He just said that he was like trying to be funny. He didn't want the job. But after he said it, my response, in case people are wondering, is I said, uh, that's really inappropriate. You can leave now. And I kicked him out of the interview. What I love about that aspect of the story is you didn't defer to like an adult to see if that was what should happen. You're just yeah. like, yeah, now nah, you gots to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, we're not going to have you working here. <laughs> <laughs> you just made a uni- unilateral decision for the company yeah. as a teenage kid. Yeah. You're out of here. That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have any questions like that that you asked that were maybe no. uh, things you shouldn't have said? No, or? no. But I've always... I, I, I have had a couple interesting interview experiences. Okay. Um, I'll just talk about one. One was the guy who was interviewing me and he asks, you know, what what's your... What's your um, your your biggest weakness. Mm, the you know, question. Yeah, and I and I don't do the the. Tip. I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, I don't do that. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm too dedicated. Right. I work too hard. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm a procrastinator. Ooh. Which is fucking a hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah. That is factual. That's yeah. not dodging. That's I'm just honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I struggle with that. Yeah, I don't like to work. And I said, well, what would be yours? Because you know we're just talking interview. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> he flew into town. It was a, I mean, it was a good job. Yeah. Wasn't like a, you know, on a r- riverboat gambling <laughs> job like Brittany Page got. And, uh, well, well, what's yours? He says, oh, well, uh, I don't like Puerto Ricans. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my God. And he was serious? Yes. 
And he went on through the story about, and I don't remember exactly how he said it, but. Oh my God. I don't know if it was the currently didn't like Puerto Ricans, but he went through this story about how he was in the army and there was a lot of Puerto Ricans that he served with and he didn't like them. Okay. It was uh, very surreal. Wow. I got the job. That would be very awkward. Thankfully, I wasn't a Puerto Rican because I probably wouldn't have got the job. <laughs> yeah, that's really sad. Was he was he old? Did you say how old he was? Uh, he was older. Yeah, okay. not an old man. I mean, not like get off my lawn. Yeah, I mean, he okay. was you know he's an old guy. Huh? He'd been in the company for a long time. Yeah, just pretty weird. It was a very surreal. And even at the time, I you know I was a a dedicated Republican guy, and yeah. it didn't. Even then, I was just like, that's. <laughs> That's not right. Yeah. <laughs> well, also that he would feel like comfortable, like no one had told him that, hey, dude. Yeah. You know, well, let me tell you. What, what's going on here? I, you, I don't know if this is just a dude thing, mm -hmm. but there are certain white dudes who feel they get very comfortable very quickly around other white dudes mm -hmm. and will start getting racist, start getting inappropriate. Huh. I've had people just drop the end bomb mm -hmm. right, right in conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't had it since I moved to California. Right. But. Uh, like in Idaho. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it, I don't know if it was one of those deals, but mm -hmm. it was certainly fucking weird. Yeah. Certainly weird. Yeah. So wonder if anybody else out there has any interesting, <laughs> peculiar interview stories. Yeah, yeah. I'm Let sure we've know. all had them. So you have them. Share them. Let us know. Yeah. All right. Let's get to, we got a lot of listener communication to get to, both emails and phone calls. We have further conversation to be had about the Catholic Church. Let's read that and then get to some follow-up news about the topic. This is someone who wants to be kept anonymous. All right. Dear Brittany and Jesse, I listened to episode 438 about the Catholic priests, and I wanted to weigh in on the subject. I grew up in a very Catholic family, as in my dad's sister was a nun, the mean, wow. the mean whippy kind, too. <laughs> we had a lot of priests visit. Are there our no lovey-dovey nuns? Uh, Are they all just sadistic? Rapping on the knuckles with, with ruler types? I know nothing about nuns, so wow. I can't right. tell you. We had a lot of priests visit our home, and to this day, we have one as a very close family friend. We went to church every Sunday religiously, prayed every day before bed, always observed all the feast days and holidays, and did all the sacraments. I've been baptized, had my first communion, did my confirmation, and was planning on baptizing my children as well. However, even with all of this, I struggled with my faith as a child and still struggle with it today. I struggled to stay awake in church, struggled to pray every night, and felt the Catholic guilt when I even thought of skipping church. In college, I was steadfast in going to church every week, but the older I got, the less I went until I stopped going completely for months. I would question the point of all the ceremony and saw it as a waste of time, and soon my guilt ebbed and I no longer felt anything. That is, until I started to see tragedy in my life. I became that person who only turned to God when something bad was happening and ignored him when times were good. And after a while, I became so ashamed of this. I stopped turning to him completely good or bad because I felt I didn't deserve him. Later on, I realized that God is love and I want to believe he's a forgiving deity. 
I made him a promise that if he saw me through the worst of what I was going through, I would return to church and become a better Catholic, which I did. Going to church actually made me feel better and kept me grounded with my faith, and I felt closer to God each time I went. I came to love the traditions, and going to church was my haven. I felt it very high in my mind. Unfortunately, these scandals destroyed that to the point that my already wavering faith lost even more of its footing. I remember seeing the movie Spotlight last year, and it reminded me of a time in my childhood when a priest, who was a family friend, made me and my siblings feel very uncomfortable in the way he spoke to and touched us. We were afraid to tell our parents because we thought they wouldn't believe us and we'd be punished for disrespecting a man of God. Crazy, right? My mother questioned us as we thought, but fortunately my dad immediately believed us and we never saw that priest again. I was lucky, but so many other children weren't. I believed the church when it told me that these abuses had stopped and that those priests had been dealt with, to the point that I even found myself compartmentalizing what the church was doing because I felt if I left the church, I would be condemned to hell. Catholic guilt is a really powerful thing. I still feel that way now. Like if I don't stay with the church, despite its moral failings, I would be abandoning God. I'm angry about this happening, sad because I feel lost and don't know where to turn, and ashamed that I feel guilty for wanting to stay with the church for my benefit, even though I despise what they're doing. I'm in conflict within myself because I fight for all human causes, but now the culprit is also my basis of being. I basically lost my anchor. Until the church drastically changes something, I have no choice but to put Catholicism to the side. I still believe in God, but I need to find him elsewhere and have my faith once again secured. As much as I will miss it, I refuse to silently support them, even though they do so much good in the world. This is just a really shit thing to have happen. My prayers go up to all the victims, both past and alive. Thank you guys for listening, and apologies if this is very long. I had a lot to get off my chest. Well, let me, let me say this. I don't want to talk you out of your Catholic faith. But you don't need the Catholic Church as some mysterious and mystical conduit to your God. If you had a connection to your God before, the Catholic Church is unnecessary for that to continue. Obviously, the audience knows I don't have any proclivity toward religion. I don't have faith anymore. But if that's something that's important to you, and if it, you believe it makes you a good person, you can find that elsewhere. The Catholic guilt thing is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And Catholics talk about it like it's special. Like, they, oh, it's Catholic guilt. Oh, let me tell you something. Guilt is not unique to Catholicism. I remember being taught as a kid by our youth leader that when he would read his Bible at night, the guy was a hardworking logger. I mean, worked his ass off ground down to a little nub every day physically so naturally when you get home you are exhausted mm -hmm. and he would say that at night when he would lay in bed and he would read his bible and he would start to fall asleep he knew that was satan trying to prevent him from reading the word of god mm -hmm. 
And he felt guilty about that. Yeah. And he admonished us to not let the devil win. Mm-hmm. Uh, guilt is not unique to Catholicism. Yeah, well, we we always talk about um, the profound impact that Loveline had on my life when I was young. Mm-hmm. And I would always listen to uh, Mormons call in, Mormon boys, and, you know, they're not allowed to masturbate. Guilty about jerking off. Well, a lot of Christians, well, they say not. No, to. they would even feel guilty about their nocturnal emissions. Um mm. And, like dreams. Right. And so Dr. Drew would say, well, if if you don't take it out, God will take it out for you to kind of alleviate their guilt that they were experiencing and yeah. let them know it was like a normal thing, that it wasn't the devil or whatever. Um, but that, that, that guilt, again, with what you're saying, I think is in many religious denominations. And... Uh, I was reading an article. There's many articles that are popping up about this this Catholic um, sex abuse scandal. And there was one called What Father Bradle Did to Me. And it was a woman who was reading the report and saw her priest that abused her, his name, while she was reading the report. And she's not wow. she's not named in it, but her situation is named about what he did to her. Yeah, yeah. And so he used to come over to the family house and her mom would send her into the the living room to like entertain the priest while dinner was being prepared and that turned into him touching her and kissing her and um abusing her and uh in one part of the article she said that quote i knew from my catechism book that following the wishes of authority figures was a way of quote showing god how much we love him we show this especially when we obey and something we do not feel like doing. So a lot of the it's baked in. Yeah, a lot of the guilt comes from these teachings that are at odds with like your intuition, I think. Yeah, there are scriptures in the Bible that talk about touch not God's anointed, which is the same kind of a thing. Yeah, so in this moment, she's a child, and this adult man is kissing her. It's her first kiss. She's a child. Yeah. Um, putting his adult tongue in her mouth. And she knows something is wrong. But then in her head, there's a flash of the the teachings from people who are yeah. godly and holy and this, Connected this to divine something moral authority. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you, you start like wrestling with, wait a minute, but I'm feeling this and this feels wrong. Oh my God, but they told me like I have to obey these people. He must know what's right. Yeah. And so I think that's where that guilt comes in of where it's you're, you're battling with your intuition and what the indoctrination is telling yeah, you. Yeah, that's an awesome point. Yeah. Re- Listen, I, I think it's great that your, your father uh, had sense enough. For sure. To believe you and not the religious figure. For sure. As far as being anonymous, I don't know that it helps that much. Unless you're letting your peers know, your fellow Catholics, that this is how you feel, how are they going to know that it's okay also to feel that way? And I'm not admonishing yet. Look, I get it. There's pressure. There's social pressure relative to, to your, your, your community in the church, but... Um, if you can come out slowly and somehow let them know, let people know in that community that you feel this way, it might give them space to slowly come out too. Because a message needs to be sent to the Catholic Church that no fucking more is this going to be tolerated. That if you want to continue as an organization, it is only because of the congregation that you exist as a religious organization. Without us, you are nothing. 
We are the body of Christ. You will you will evaporate. It ha- the, the higher ups and that starts at the parish level up. They need to know. Yeah, and people have started pledging that they're not going to donate their money to the organization anymore, like Catholics have said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's certainly a good start. And the survivors have come out and said that that's kind of like a symbolic gesture. that They appreciate it, but that it's, mm, it, it's like showing your support for them, but they don't believe that that is necessarily like going to prompt the change. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what will get the church's attention. I think withholding money would be pretty powerful. Me too. I also think not if, listen, if you're a, if you're an every week Catholic, stop going. That's what I, I mean, if it were me, Mm -hmm. if Jesse D were a Catholic, he would not darken the door of a church again. Mm -hmm. I would find either another faith community. I mean, if I were. Yeah. Clearly, that's not, you're, you're them, that's not the advice I'm yeah, giving. Yeah. The advice I would be but giving is... But that's why is, it means more coming from a Catholic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So thank you, Anonymous. We Listen, we appreciate... I'm not shitting on you for being anonymous. I just... I think it goes unsaid. It would be far more powerful uh, if you were to to lead your, your community. But, but we appreciate the communication very much. We know it's a sensitive topic, and we respect that. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. This is Aiden, and I'm admittedly thrilled I finally have a good reason to write you both. It's regarding episode 438, where the indictments against priests under the Catholic Diocese in Pennsylvania was discussed. I've had my issues with Catholicism and religion entirely for over two years now, but nothing has made me more furious than knowing that there's been a cover-up of this magnitude spanning how many decades, children, priests, and officials in one state, sadly in my home state. My biological sister knew two indictees, and I've had to check the indictment list, fearing that any of these perverts may have come close to any of my other family members anywhere between 40 to 15 years ago. I agree with Brittany's sentiment. My blood is boiling, not just because it happened and continued until just now, but that the diocese has the gall to blame the victims for the actions of adults, that there are some people that are not only turning a blind eye, but are still patronizing the churches that people are still using Catholicism as grounds to harass other members in the LGBT community, as well as my family. So I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear the God slash Jesus defense as grounds for discriminating against anyone that a bigot doesn't agree with or wants to shame. I won't hear anyone telling me I'm going to hell because I'm trans or poly or gay or because I wear makeup and things that I feel like wearing. Because what I'm doing is no longer the most egregious thing. I would have been damned if a bigot told me what to do before. I'll be goddamned if I let complicit (laughs) monsters like them tell me what to do now. Goddamn. On one hand, it feels good to really call a quote-unquote Christian bigot's mourning superiority into question. On the other, I'm disgusted to know that people will continue to patronize Christianity despite this. I've heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? When faced with a dilemma, if what I've heard is true, then he wouldn't hesitate to either see that actual punishment was handed down and change occurred, or to leave the faith refusing to fund such inexcusable practices. I sincerely feel disheartened that so many parishioners will practice what they so passionately preach. Thanks for your time. Keep up the great work with the podcast. And as always, Brittany's the best part. Take care, Aiden. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, Aiden, 
let me specifically address one part of that, and that is the what would Jesus do? And for you, the, the, those of you who are Christians out there, as I sputter and stutter. I know, I'm, I think it's my throat. <laughs> quit whining about being sick. I'm the one who's sick. You don't get to be sick too. Yeah, I'm not getting sick. <laughs> Mind over reality. What would Jesus do? Let's think about what Jesus would do. Let's think about what Jesus did. What example he set when people were defiling the temple. When he was flipping over tables. He got, it was the only time that Jesus quote unquote lost his temper and got violent maybe in the Bible. Calling them vipers. Driving them out, whipping them out of the temple. Well, let me ask this. If molesting and raping parishioner children is not the height of defiling the temple, today's temple, then what is? In my estimation, and I think it's a, an accurate estimation, Jesus the Christ would be driving these vipers out of his presence. And who is Christ on earth today? It is the church. It is the people. It is the parishioners, the congregation, the body of Christ. It is up to every single Catholic, first and foremost, the other denominations can follow, to correct this wrong. It's not on the Pope. It says in the Bible, and I don't want to take everybody to church, but no man cometh unto the <laughs> Father but by me. Jesus said that. That's your conduit to God. You have a responsibility as a Christian to act as Christ would act, as Paul said. I don't like getting preachy. But other than just being a human on earth who has an interest in justice... I don't have a dog in this fight because it's not part of my organization. I don't really have a voice here like as strong as a Catholic does. If you're a Catholic, get to your feet, walk to the phone, and get on the phone and start making calls to your diocese. Start making demands of your church, of this organization, for the sake of innocent children. Thousands and thousands of innocent children. Thank you both for the emails. We appreciate it very much. Let's get to some more listener communication on the other side of the break. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Strong arm? Strong arm tactics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dale? Oh, you were just doing a first name thing. Well, that's what we do. We do first names. <laughs> So that was the first name. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Uh, Dale. Dale. And Alvin. Alvin. Yes. The That is awesome. Beautiful. We appreciate it so much, truly. Thank you for joining the family. 
Yes. Now, I always feel, I used to feel a little weird about calling it the Patreon family, but I, I think we really are building a community here, and I think it's a beautiful thing that people are willing to give of their absolutely hard-earned money to support the show and moving the conversation forward and and uh, producing the content that we produce. So we, we love you guys. We appreciate every single penny that is that is uh, put our way to support the show. And uh, we look forward to doing this as long as you will allow us. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get back to the listener communication. Uh, I wanted to kind of create a, a break between uh, the Catholic Church stuff and what I believe to be a little bit more fun... <laughs> Because it involves uh, Donald Trump and politics, which is still kind of scary, um, but not quite as as heavy. So uh, let's get to a voicemail to start with. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, this is Christopher from Minnesota calling in real quick. Um, I'm calling because um, I want to talk about something that wasn't discussed in the last episode of the podcast, which was um, mostly centered around Michael Avenatti and his possible but it sounds like he's possibly uh running for candidacy in 2020 as for presidency um obviously we're a ways away and got the 2018 we should be focused on the first step which is defeating the republicans in the uh 2018 election but nevertheless it's still something that's common news and it's still something of conversation and i was curious more along the lines of his statement about, uh, you made this statement about, you know, when you go low, uh, I said we hit him back even harder. You know, it's clearly a response to Michelle Obama's when they go low, you go high kind of response. So I was curious in regards that it's clear that in the 2018, the Democratic strategy is probably working by the looks of it. Uh, they seem to be winning across the board uh, pretty frequently. And the progressive strategy seems to be pretty appealing with focusing around policies, uh, anti-corruption, and uh, health care in particular. So I want to know, uh, do you think that Michael Avenatti might have a sound strategy, or do you think that it's nothing more than just a, you know, just a simplistic one-off strategy that Donald Trump used that may not be appealing to the Democratic base? Uh, I want to know what your guys' thoughts are. Bye. Well, let me say this. Uh, I wish Michael Avenatti would go the fuck away. <laughs> Michael Avenatti is an attention whore. Uh, let him represent his client's interest and then go away. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems very... He's not a serious character. The motivation seems very selfish. Of course. Yeah, I think he's very self-interested and he is just kind of enjoying his moment in the spotlight and trying to absorb it as much as possible and also stretch it out for as long as he can. <laughs> the, the other thing is, um, what does it even mean when they go low, we hit them back even harder? Or whatever the, the exact turn of phrase is. What exactly... Like I like to do, let's think about how that would work. So Donald Trump makes fun of Michael Avenatti's elfishly small head and his beady eyes and his bald dome. What do you do? Do you do do you do you, you do what Marco Rubio did? Mm-hmm. You do a roast battle. Yeah. What do you what live the fuck on does Periscope? That mean? <laughs> no. Listen. I think that 
both both of those things are simplistic. Both of the when they go low, we we go high. We you know that that in itself is a it's a buzzword that gets people warm. Just like the when they go low, we we uh, we whatever the fuck he said. That 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 just gets a reaction in people. But as a strategy, I don't think it's a strategy. It doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. We need a sound candidate who is beyond reproach morally, is what we need. We need the counter to Donald Trump. Yeah. No more schoolyard tactics. Yes, let's stop. Let's stop with the with the Joe Biden saying, I'll take him out behind the middle school and beat the shit out of him. No. We don't need our president to be a tough guy. Yeah. Look, I appreciate, uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of bullshit as much as the next guy. You do? I I I uh I have to make myself not be that guy. Mhm. But I don't want my president being that guy. Yeah. I don't want my my president being this mouthy Hey, I'm a, a a lawyer. I'm from New York. I don't want that. Yeah, especially when they're forgetting like who they are, you know? Like you're not I don't have a contemporary reference. Uh Chuck Liddell <laughs> or something. <laughs> You're not Tank Abbott. <laughs> yeah, so listen, as a strategy for progressives and Democrats in general, I think that the party should put forward someone who is beyond reproach, who is overwhelmingly loved by the by the, the, the electorate. I don't want the party putting their thumb on the scale, doing some superdelegate bullshit like we saw in 2016. Let the people pick their candidate. That That's what I think. Mm-hmm. And I just pray to the God I don't believe in that it's not Michael Avenatti. It won't be. For the love. Come on, man. O'Malley 2020. (laughs) I wouldn't mind O'Malley. I'd be okay with that. Anyway, that's not the question. Thank you. We appreciate Christopher the call very much. Moving on. More politics. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Meg from Arkansas. So, it is, you know... Tuesday and Michael Cohen has pled guilty and Paul Manafort has been convicted and I'm listening to the live broadcast with well snooze fest Wolf Blitzer but they're analyzing the documents <laughs> and they're mentioning that you they found you cannot indict the president so I guess my question would be can you indict him after he's not president? I really wonder, like, can he still be indicted and charged with these crimes at some point? Because it happened before he was president. I'd really like your thoughts on that. Maybe, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know, but I'm, I'm really happy with, so far with what's happened. I'm just really confused about, can we indict Donald Trump? That would be fantastic. Anyway, love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. There is no... It is an unsettled uh, debate about whether or not a president can be indicted. A sitting president can be indicted. Once Donald Trump is gone, he can absolutely be indicted. He does not enjoy any immunity whatsoever. Right now on the books, the only the only thing that is that is that is written is Justice Department policy. There is no law, there is no court ruling about whether a sitting president can be indicted. However, there are theories out there. 
that because the founders, when they wrote the Constitution, they baked in immunity for Congress people while they were giving debates on the floor, that they understood the concept and the possibilities of actually giving different uh, servants of the government immunity. And they did not do that. So there is a case to be made that even a sitting president does is not above the law, can be indicted for crimes. The problem is that only two times has it really been addressed by this Justice Department, by a, the, the Justice Department of the United States. One was during Nixon's administration, the other during Clinton's administration. Both of the times, the Justice Department, which was run by that sitting president, took the opinion that no, you can't do it. How much credibility would we think if Jeff Sessions came out and said, oh yeah, we're gonna write a memo that we've come to the conclusion that you can't indict Donald Trump. You wouldn't take it seriously. But this has never really been put to the test because when articles of impeachment were drawn against Richard Nixon, Right before they were drawn, yoink, he quit. Mm -hmm. And Bill Clinton, he test, he tried his luck. He pressed his luck. He let it go to trial in the Senate when he was impeached. And he beat it. The Senate did, they voted to acquit. So he was not removed from office. So that's basically what the, the answer to the question is, is that we don't know. And some prosecutor, some prosecutor out there can try it. That's right. And see how it goes, uh, secure an indictment, and see what you can do. Right, or try to get, I mean, it would have to, it's going to have to be challenged in the courts, mm -hmm. is what it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, a, a president after they're out of there, that would be the answer here. If, if the prevailing wisdom of the day stands, here's how it'll go down. Donald Trump will be impeached. A trial will happen in this, by the House, he'll be impeached. Uh, a trial will happen in the Senate. He will be removed from office. Then he can be indicted. That's how it works. So I hope that answers the question. <laughs> Good job, Jesse D. <laughs> anyway. Very impressive, sir. Thank you both for those very poignant and timely questions. I think we have uh, an email, maybe two. I don't know. We have one last email. All right. um, this is also from someone who wants to be anonymous. I would like to say before I read it that I hope I hope everyone who um, enjoys the benefit of being anonymous can like have a special appreciation for what we do on the show. <laughs> I'm not trying to ask for props, but sometimes it is kind of like stressful. You know, putting your neck out there. Thinking in public. And talking about these issues. Yeah. Um, it is. It's a little... It can be d difficult. So I think... Because we have no choice but to have our name on it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that people who want to remain anonymous have a special recognition of that. So I'm just pointing it out. Okay? Yeah. And, and good for them. It's good yeah. for th if they want to do that. No, for sure. Again, I'm not... You were do definitely doing some shaming. I want to juxtapose what you did against oh, what I'm yeah. doing now. And yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not shaming. Yeah. I, maybe I did come across like a dick. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Mm -hmm. I'm just... It's gentle... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little gentle, we gentle get it. nudge. We get it. <laughs> OK, 
Okay. Hey guys, I probably haven't written to you guys in a while, but I felt the need to today. I live and work about half an hour away from the Hamptons. Oh, I know who this is. In Eastern, I'm just teasing. In Eastern Long Island, New York. So the entitled people segment really hit home for me, especially considering I work at Starbucks. Most likely the most snooty and self-entitled customer base I have ever personally experienced. So with the combination of terrible snooty people in the Hamptons and their $7 cup of coffee, I have had some tongue-biting experiences with customers. So with that being said, I believe your entitled people segment would be therapeutic and funny. Love you guys. Anonymous. All right. Let me say that, you know, I think Starbucks doesn't do themselves any favors. I think they cultivate a snooty customer base. When you give your customers the option of whatever the fuck they want, have you heard some of these orders at Starbucks? Skinny, half-calf, slip-slap, dilly-snip-snap. I mean, it's insane. Mm-hmm. It's not just, can I get a coffee? <laughs> when we get coffee, it's, can I get a coffee... With a little room, because mm-hmm. I'm going to go over there and do it my thing, mm-hmm. my own thing. Yeah, I've tried to get things like um, chai tea or whatever, and it I think they just like dump a paste in the cup, like some sort of glue. It's like Louis C.K. used to say, that they just push a button and some old lady's diarrhea shoots out. Yeah, it's like a thick <laughs> paste that's hard to... It's not even a drink. It's, yeah. I don't know. So I don't... I don't get that kind of stuff. I just get coffee there now. Yeah. I mean, not to shame on Anonymous's place of. No, I couldn't. I can't imagine being in that business working at Starbucks mm-hmm. because of the assholes. Mm-hmm. We've, I've talked about it on the show that it's one of the only places that it's, it's chief in my mind when I think about calling people out for their bad behavior. You know, my classic line, classic in my own mind, which is, hey, dude. Nobody thinks you're cool right now. Mm-hmm. Stop yelling at the at the cashier. Yeah. That's that's a Starbucks thing. That's yeah. happened to me multiple times. Yeah, people being aggressive to customer service people, that's that's a bummer. <laughs> that's a bummer. No, it is. I mean, that's definitely something that if I encounter it, I I might say something. I think I I definitely have in the past and it depends on how bad it gets, but that's that's not okay. Yeah. You know, it's not their fault. So, we're going to move on here. I just realized that we didn't talk about the follow-up that we have on the Catholic Church thing. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to drag us back into that. Perfect. And we're going to talk about the fact that the Pope did come out and respond, maybe not in the way that uh, we wanted him to. Today, a remarkable confession from Pope Francis, admitting the leaders of the Catholic Church failed their people on priest sex abuse. We showed no care for the little ones. We abandoned them. Writing in a letter to the world's 1.2 billion Catholics, we were not where we should have been, that we did not act in a timely manner, realizing the magnitude and the damage done to so many lives. Sean Doherty says one of those lives is his. The last three popes should have made that statement. They're really behind the times on this. There's a lot further that he needs to go. The catalyst, that horrific Pennsylvania grand jury report, detailing sickening abuse by 300 priests over 70 years, victimizing more than 1,000 children. In Pittsburgh today, the anger visible. A school sign bearing Washington Cardinal Donald Wuerl's name, vandalized. 
Wuerl under fire for the grand jury's finding that he protected predator priests when he was Bishop of Pittsburgh. Wuerl insisting the report is not accurate. Anguish Emory University theology professor Dr. Susan Reynolds heard at Sunday Mass after the priest's sermon. In that moment, a father rose to his feet and simply called out, how? How do we reform the church? What do we do? Tell us how to begin. Reynolds is one of some 2,800 Catholics signing an online letter urging American bishops to submit their resignations en masse to the Pope, as Chile's bishops did. In a New York Times op-ed today, Notre Dame professor Kathleen Cummings echoed the call for radical change. The bishops created this crisis, and people who create the crisis aren't going to be the people who are going to lead you out of it. And for the Pope to acknowledge this, it's a big step, but in the eyes of those who are victimized, is it enough? Well, Lester, the survivors and church officials and church observers I talked to today say this is a good first step, but they want solutions to ensure this never happens again. The Pope's spokesperson said what is notable in this letter is that the Pope called the abuse a crime and not a sin. But the people in the pews want more than words and platitudes, Lester. They want action. Okay, I will say before I get into all of the terrible things wrong with that clip, um, that it is good that he's calling it a crime and not a sin. In fact, I read an article um, from some woman who never used the word crime and only used the word sin, talking about the problem of sin in response to this report. That is that is not that is not the word that should be being used here. Right. And I hate to um, talk about a joke that Bill Maher made, but. Um, he made a really good point on his show where he said, like, if this was happening at Subway or something. Jiffy Lube, yes. Yeah, Jiffy said. Lube. Um, the Pope says, submit your resignations right now. Oh, right. really? Would, yeah. would we think that's acceptable from the manager at, down at Subway? Oh, oh, excuse me, employee, you um, raped a child. I'm going to need you to go ahead and submit your resignation right now. I'm I not, want it on my desk. I'm not firing you. Right now. But I need your resignation. We've been calling for Donald Trump's resignation for fucking 20 months now. Where's that gotten us? You don't demand resignations. You fucking fire them. We, you also, like, you're going to jail. Like, yes. we are taking you down. Like, we are giving all of the information. We are, you need to turn yourself in. Like, you need to go above and beyond here. Yeah. It isn't just you need to resign and and not have power in the church anymore. Yeah. It's also striking to me the way she starts that report with a remarkable confession from the Pope. Is it really remarkable that the vicar of Christ on earth admits that this is bad news? Oh, my God. How remarkable. That the guy who really should know the difference between evil is, oh yeah, maybe it was not so bad. Maybe it wasn't a great thing that thousands of children were raped by hundreds of priests in one state of America. But yeah, and again, that's that's what I'm getting at with, yeah. the, with the issue of this submit your resignation is, so they keep on acting like this has been dealt with, this is no longer a problem. Um... And what message does it send when the Pope comes out and this is this is the worst punishment that he talks about? Yeah. He's not saying, hey, everybody, uh, going forward, if there's a report, you call the police. And yeah. these people are being marched off to jail. Like, we're giving the police all of the evidence. We're handing over all of the secret files. 
everything. And if we know of anybody right now, right, who's in the priesthood, right, who 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 is hasn't been defrocked or whatever already, right. We're turning them over. Right. We're turning over the evidence. We're giving the reports. And going forward, that's the new rule. I don't care about your resignation. It doesn't that's matter. Right. You're, you're, it's not up to you. Yeah, we're calling the cops. Yeah. Just like any other like organization would do. Right. <laughs> right? I don't know why it's different. I don't know why it's different. It's not different. It's disgusting that people are giving deference, calling this a remarkable confession from the Pope. Everybody on earth who has a reasonable mind and viewpoint is outraged by this. They wouldn't start they wouldn't start a, a, a newscast saying, oh, a remarkable confession from Jesse Dollimore. He's outraged that kids are getting raped. So why is it remarkable confession from the Pope? So that's a little follow-up. Didn't want to to drag this on. I know that it's not uh, the 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 most cheery topic, and it's also you know maybe getting a little old for someone who's not completely um, into the religion angle of this. But I think it's important, and uh, we're going to keep following it as it goes. So so let's uh, let's move on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So obviously, the news today was very slow. Mm. <laughs> Not a lot going on. Yeah, relative <laughs> to Donald Trump. Yeah, there was actually uh, Jake Tapper was saying breaking news like every I don't know four minutes and had to keep interrupting people while yeah. they were speaking. And he made a comment at one point and said it's like a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it really was. I mean, it was just these rolling updates, and they were showing the front of the the courthouse, and people were just running in and out of the courthouse. It looked like a zombie movie. Well, they had a split shot. <laughs> What's crazy? They had a split shot, a split screen. Mm-hmm. of the courthouse in Alexandria, Virginia, where Paul Manafort was being found guilty yeah. of eight of uh, the 18 counts against him. Mm-hmm. There was a deadlock on the others. That doesn't mean he was found innocent of the others, not guilty of the others. It means there was a mistrial. They, there, there were some jurors who who wanted guilty and, and, and the others, some others who, maybe there was even just one mm-hmm. it could have been who didn't? Who were holding out? Right, but he was convicted of five counts of tax fraud, two counts of bank fraud, and one count of failure to disclose a foreign bank account. Right, and then the other side of the screen, at, at simultaneously, was the U.S. District District Court in New York City, where Michael Cohen had surrendered to the FBI the day before and then pled guilty to several charges, including campaign fi- finance uh, uh, violations, which. In, in um, I don't want to say indicted, but implicated Donald Trump. Right. He admitted that, quote, he, well, that he um, paid, quote, in coordination and at the direction of a candidate for federal office. Yeah. Uh, individual number one is in the indictment several times. And for those uh, on the news, they haven't said why they know individual number one is Donald Trump. It says in the indictment. That individual number one who was running for president at the time. It says specifically who it doesn't say the name, but it says 
who individual number one is. And the reporters are trying to get at it. Like the first question that was asked when Michael Cohen walked out of the courtroom, um, I believe, was who is the elected official? Yeah. Come on, man. (laughs) Who is it? (laughs) So anyway, a a big, big, again, I'll say it again, maybe for the third show in a row, seismic day for the Trump administration. And maybe uh, bye-bye. Good evening. Of all the days we have seen, we have not seen a day quite like this. The president's former attorney and longtime fixer stood up in court today and said that he broke the law. He broke the law to make money for himself, and he said he broke the law to help get President Trump elected. Most significantly of all, he says he broke the law in what he said was coordination and, quote, at the direction, end quote, of Donald Trump. The crimes he admitted committing are felonies, and it's hard to overstate the significance of that, of what Cohen is claiming. The man who once said he'd take a bullet for Donald Trump today in federal court was essentially calling his old boss and client, now the president of the United States, a crook. Elsewhere, in another federal courtroom, a jury convicted the president's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, of eight felony tax and bank fraud charges, two courtrooms, two former Trump associates, 16 felony counts between them, all in the space of a few hours today. That now makes in total five former Trump associates and advisors, even one former White House advisor, now either convicted of or pleading guilty to federal crimes. We begin with Michael Cohen. He pleaded guilty today to eight criminal counts, all of them felonies, including a pair of campaign finance violations. One involved the payment to buy the silence of porn actress Stormy Daniels. The other stemming from the arrangement with the National Enquirer's parent company to silence former Playboy model Karen McDougal. Both, Cohen told the judge, were done, as I said, quote, in coordination and at the direction of what he said was a candidate for federal office, meaning Donald Trump. Today, on his way to a rally in West Virginia, the president had nothing to say about Michael Cohen, only that the news was sad. He also had nothing to say about being implicated in either payoff. It wasn't so long ago that he was denying it all. Ask Michael Cohen. Michael's my an attorney, and you'll have to ask Michael Cohen. Do you know where he got the money to make that payment? No, I don't know. No. All right, so that was a lie. In fact, back in May, his TV lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, revealed that that was untrue, saying that he did reimburse Cohen for the Daniels payoff. And just a few weeks ago, Michael Cohen revealed the recording that he made that shows Mr. Trump was also involved in the Karen McDougal arrangement. The David you're going to hear in this tape is likely David Pecker of the National Enquirer's parent company, AMI. Alan uh, Weisselberg is the Trump Organization's chief financial officer. Um, I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so yeah. that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and, I've spoken, to me. and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up uh, with so where are we going to funding. The, uh, yes. Um, and it's all the stuff, all the stuff, because, you know, you never know where that company, you never know where he's going to be. Correct. So I'm, I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be... What financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got... No, no, no. Hey, no, how are you? When the recording first hit, many observers remarked that it kind of sounded like a pair of crooks conspiring. Today in court, Michael Cohen told the judge under oath that's basically just what it was. 
So uh, Lanny Davis tweeted, which is, uh, who is, <laughs> uh, Michael Cohen's attorney, and he tweeted and said, today he stood up and testified under oath that Donald Trump directed him to commit a crime by making payments to two women for the principal purpose of influencing an election. If those payments were a crime for Michael Cohen, then why wouldn't they be a crime for Donald Trump? That is exactly right. Donald Trump effectively is an unindicted co-conspirator is the phrase, even though co-conspirator is stupid because being a cons you can't conspire with yourself. Little grammar nitpicker here, but <laughs> a, con a con conspirator means there's someone else. Co-conspirator is redundant. But an unindicted co-conspirator, nonetheless, we'll just go with that terminology. If Donald Trump was not president of the United States right now, he would likely be included in these charges. Flatly, that's just the way it is. Because paying Stormy Daniels and the other one I can, can never remember her name. Karen McDougal. Karen McDougal. Paying them off didn't benefit Michael Cohen. The benefit rests solely with Donald Trump. Further, the benefit was, had it come out five or six weeks or whatever it was before the election, it would have likely damaged, inextricably damaged, irrevocably damaged the candidacy and the campaign for president. So this, I hate using the word over and over, but this is a seismic day. This is a day <laughs> people are going to remember, holy shit, this is where it really turned. Uh, Lanny Davis also went on Rachel Maddow's show today and said, quote, Mr. Cohen has knowledge on certain subjects that should be of interest to the special counsel and is more than happy to tell the special counsel all that he knows. I think, well, there's a lot of questions still revolving around. I haven't heard anybody talking about this, but there's a lot of questions surrounding was Michael Cohen actually in Prague then that day meeting with Russians? Remember in the dossier, it says he was there. Mm -hmm. If they were to give him immunity on those charges, he could be a, a, a massive asset to the Mueller investigation. Um, this really does call into question, though, Donald Trump's repeated claim over and over and over that he hires the best people. Think about this list. Paul, Paul Manafort, who was the campaign chairman has now been convicted of eight felonies. And there's another trial here coming up in September in D.C. that is likely going to have um, a similar outcome. And this trial has things to do a lot more with the campaign and not monies that were hidden relative to uh, friends of Russia and his work with Ukraine. Mike Flynn, the former national security advisor, for President of the United States, has pled guilty in this investigation, in the course of this investigation. Michael Cohen now, Donald Trump's longtime lawyer, Rick Gates, George Papadopoulos. Donald Trump must be just super innocent and then just happens to be surrounded by close advisors who are criminals. That must be it, right? Mm-hmm. You know how many people I have around me in my orbit who have or, or have been convicted or, or, or charged with felonies? None. 
Well, that's what's weird about... So he held a rally today, and they were chanting... The crowd was chanting, drain the swamp and lock her up. Yeah, goddamn. And it's just strange because drain the swamp is kind of this call to end corruption in Washington. Yes. Right? The people that are using their office to benefit themselves and shut the little people out and not and not help them yeah so that's what the trump supporters want right and uh the clintons are supposed to be kind of the epitome of the swamp right with all of their corruption and all of their wealth yeah and just cronyism yeah enriching themselves and so it's just strange that they can't see that with Donald Trump. And well, the rally of, the rally was in West Virginia. All of the people <laughs> that he has around him, it's like he's a different kind of rich guy. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> he's a different kind of guy who he, he cleans his own golden toilet. Yeah, who who doesn't pay contractors and, you know, rips people off at every turn his yeah. whole life. Like he's a different kind of Rich person. What did Donald Trump Jr. call him? A blue collar billionaire? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's it's just a very strange. And then they're chanting lock her up about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> that's it, it's not going to happen. <laughs> also, it's over, bro. Yeah, that's not that's not going to happen. And also uh, people in Donald Trump's circle have been locked up. So are Many locked up, of are them. locked up right yes. now. Paul Manafort is locked up. So. So this is this is huge. This is going to be a, a, a bummer for Donald Trump. It is going to test the veracity of some of the questions we were answering earlier, talking about earlier from Meg, whether he can be indicted. Hopefully some minds get changed relative to the Republican electorate or the, the Republican elected officials on Capitol Hill. That they turn a corner here and they see light at the end of the tunnel. They see what's happening. That their agenda is not more important than the health of our republic. Hopefully. Other things they wanted to talk about relative to this are the fact that that the, the first member of Congress to endorse Donald Trump officially has been charged with insider trading on multiple counts. Using his position... To gain inside information, he has been he has been uh, charged by the Southern District of New York. His name was Chris. His name is Chris Collins. And today, and coincidentally, the the very second member of Congress to formally endorse Donald Trump has been indicted on government corruption charges. He and his wife, Duncan Hunter. Mm-hmm. San Diego area congressman who was just on Bill Maher's show the other week. Oh, he was. And uh, it is hilarious. This oh, guy. Oh, was he the kind of slimy guy? The guy you didn't like, that you oh. thought was a super dumb guy. I don't know that I thought he was dumb. I thought he was being like a too slick kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's him. That's him. <laughs> okay. This all makes sense now. All come together. Yeah. So what's funny about this is in the charging documents, in the indictment, mm-hmm. they just laid bare this guy's financial situation. One, all the corruption, obviously, but what a terrible financial situation this guy was in. Yeah, they were basically just using the campaign funds 
um, as like their salary. Yeah. Uh, spending it on fun times <laughs> like the Hyatt Regency Lake Tahoe Resort Spa and Casino for food, drinks and three nights lodging during a personal ski trip with some individual, um, individual 14. And on this day, they spent like $1,100 and the bank account actually had a negative balance and incurred six separate uh, fees for having insufficient funds totaling $200. Yeah. yeah. So what the indictment does is awesome because it it, it, uh, differentiates between the campaign account and his personal account. And they have access. They know what his. You're talking about the overdraw is from his personal account, while he's using the campaign monies to live high on the hog. Yeah. So that was the campaign fund, and then on that same day, he withdrew twenty dollars from his personal account, yeah. um, which then left a balance of fifteen dollars. So not doing great. Mm-hmm. Look, there's lots of people that don't have a ton of money in their account, but they also don't have you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in a campaign coffer to lean on to make up the difference. Mm-hmm. This is corruption. He's using campaign donations mm-hmm. to, to to go on trips, to have Birthday lunch. Birthday gifts. Yeah, so this, they're charging like $250,000 of fraud mm-hmm. and uh, not looking good. So the, the number one endorser, the number two endorser, a lot of corruption mm-hmm. in the orbit of Donald Trump. Yeah. Um. Again, when they're constantly calling out the other side for that very thing. Yeah. Hypocrisy and... But uh, it's so blatant, though. That's it. (laughs) It's like there's no effort put into... Like, yeah, yeah, of course I'm being uh, an insane hypocrite right now. But as long as I have a straight face while I do it... Yeah. And it's almost maybe not even like a straight face. Because it's almost like they do it and then wink, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like after the rally tonight, they all got on Air Force One and like laughed and kind of uh, <laughs> cheered each other on about how they're pulling the wool over yeah. everybody's eyes. It, it, it's not even quite like that. It's almost like they have the rally, they scream their screams, they say their stupid slogans, then they get on Air Force One and then live stream to YouTube how they're laughing that they got one over <laughs> on everybody. You know, they're not even making it secret. Yeah. It's yeah. out in the open for everyone to see what fucking amazing pieces of shit they are. So I will say one thing, which is we were watching the breaking news on CNN and I had other friends who were watching it as well. CNN, MSNBC talking about what was going on. And then on Fox, you had the news about Molly Tibbetts who is the 20-year-old girl that went missing in Iowa. Tragic. And they just found her body today, and she was allegedly killed by an undocumented immigrant. That was all over Fox News today. If you turned on Fox News, chances are that's what you saw. Yeah. You didn't see Michael Cohen. You didn't see Paul Manafort. You didn't see talking about corruption in our government which is something you would normally hear on Fox News, I think, um, you were hearing about Molly Tibbetts and the tragic story that has occurred in Iowa. And so there are people who are not getting all of the information is basically what I'm saying. And I think that's kind of the tragic part here is many of those people chanting, lock her up, um, drain the swamp. They are not getting the information that we're getting. And that's really sad. 
Yeah. Well, it's also it's it's um willful ignorance. They're making a choice. Do you not think so? Yeah, I'm I I think that they are making a choice and I I understand that, but I don't think that makes it any less sad. I yeah. think that no, we're I think we're in a tragic situation where um, facts can't convince people otherwise and they're retreating into the corners of the internet that provide them the information that confirm their worldview. And I don't know what the solution is. I just can recognize that it's very uh, tragic. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to do. For me, it's more tragic that members of Congress who have security clearances know, they fucking know what's going on are still choosing to to prop up the, this 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 idea to prop up propaganda that that's what they're doing especially people like Rand Paul yeah who, what the fuck is going on with that guy is supposed to be the libertarian the civil libertarian and uh is just a <laughs> i mean he's all about the trump watching donald trump degrade the free press on a daily basis malign the free press, the only job in America that's constitutionally protected. The civil libertarian in the Senate is palling around and golfing, going to Russia, delivering letters to Vladimir Putin. And then going on Fox News and defending why Donald Trump shouldn't testify uh, in the Mueller investigation because he doesn't want to get into a perjury trap. I mean, he's using the same talking points as Rudy Giuliani he does he want to be Donald Trump's lawyer? I mean, what's going on? Is he trying to get a different job? I, I know he's like an eye doctor, so he yeah, he's he, an ophthalmologist. He can't be a. <laughs> he would probably be a better lawyer than Rudy Giuliani, though. Yeah, who knows? All right, well, listen, let's uh, let's wrap this baby up. We will keep following this. Obviously, that is what we do. If you have questions for us, we'd love to hear them. If you have comments about this, we'd love to hear them. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love to hear from you. If you've been on the fence, I want to call in, but you haven't done it yet, do it. If you've been on the fence and you haven't written in yet, do it. We want to hear from you. This is part of the conversation. This is part of what the show does. The show does it. We don't do it. The show. Mm. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's wrap this baby up. Taking care of biz. Akbar Cook. Akbar Cook. The principal of Westside High School in Newark, New Jersey. All right. I think this is a nice, uplifting story to end the show on. Um, We need to do a better job of that. Yeah, so that people can leave the show feeling a little bit more um, optimistic about life. (laughs) So this principal is really impressive because... Is this... Can I guess the story? Um... Sure. Is this the laundromat in the high school? This is. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so the principal applied for a grant from a foundation uh, to create a laundromat at the school. Yeah. Um, so he received $20,000 to turn an old football locker room into a school laundromat. And the reason this was necessary is that kids were 
avoiding coming to school because they were being bullied for having dirty clothes and um, having smells. And they were missing like three to five days a month because they didn't have clean clothes and they would come to school and be bullied. Which can be a major setback. Listen, like if you're shitty at math like I am, you miss a couple days of a math math class and it's... You're fucking donezo, man. Yeah, and he actually tried to like change the school uniform to be darker colors so that they could go more days without cleaning them because some of these students come from low-income households yeah. where they don't have access to these um, these facilities. So there was a girl that was described in the article, and she brought in her bag of dirty clothes and um, she got into a fight with the school security officer and she didn't want him to check her bag because she had dirty clothes in there and she was homeless and she didn't want anyone to know. And she was really embarrassed. And so many of these instances just kept happening and he felt like, you know, I need to do something in order to help these kids and keep them coming back and coming to school. And so he got this grant and now there's a laundromat and it's open, I think every day, like three to six. And they uh, got donations from all over the country for um, laundry detergent and dryer sheets. Spectacular. Yeah. And so there's like a, an attendant that works in there and helps the kids learn how to do the laundry and kind of supervise them as they do their laundry and I just think it's really powerful and I appreciate that there's more recognition of the ways in which students struggle uh, high school middle school college there's many colleges now many universities that are creating food pantries because yeah. of students who can't afford food uh, that are trying to make their budget work they come from low-income households they're working they're trying to do their schoolwork they're trying to keep their lives together and hey having a food pantry that you can go to that gives you free food that makes all the difference in the world when you're have yeah. all those plates going so um well listen it, one it's an indictment uh of our society that that's the way it is that, that that's even necessary but because it is that way it, it is spectacular that there are people going the extra mile to make sure that 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 I'm using this uh, euphemistically, but that bottom rung of society, the people, the have nots are being helped out because one, it is, it is a, a benefit to the economy that people graduate high school. It is a benefit to the economy when people graduate college because then they're not on public assistance. So Republicans and conservatives and libertarians who would poo poo this and well, they just need to pull themselves up their, by their bootstraps. Why don't we give them the fucking opportunity to do so? Give them the hand up and the help that they that they need to do that. That way, they can graduate high school, then go on to college, get a good job, and be contributors to the consumer society that every Republican loves. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Take care of biz. I took it off the rail. Sorry. Yeah. You you sound <laughs> you sound like many comments I've written on memes throughout the years. I learned from the best, Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. I learn from the best. Mm-hmm. We love you guys. We're going to leave you there. Thank you. We would love to hear from you. Like I said, you've got the number. Also, we would love your ratings and reviews on the Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. It does absolutely help us be discovered by new listeners to help grow the I Doubt It family. That is awesome.
You can also join the Patreon family by going to dollamore.com slash Patreon or shopping on Amazon at dollamore.com slash Amazon or buying some Dollamore merch at dollamore.info. We love you and we will see you next time. And until then, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore and this has been I Doubt It. River boats or whatever they're called. River boats? What are those little boats called? I don't know. Um, you and Mark Twain. Bumper huh? boats. Fucking river boats. <laughs>